The following podcast is created and sponsored by High Beam Ministry. What is revival? You know, growing up, we prayed for revival. Prayer meetings at night with my parents and the church. But I don't think I even knew what revival was. I'll tell you the secret of getting revival in the church. Find half a dozen people that know how to grow. You won't have the same church in a year. But you can't learn groaning except by the Holy Ghost. It's the school of the Holy Spirit. When things are really dark, God's light can shine brightly. And I think we're due for another Jesus revolution. What is this church going to look like? Is the Holy Spirit going to pour out one last revival before he comes? We need revival. We need an awakening. But we cannot simply expect the Holy Spirit to come down and clean up all the mess we've made. We have clear direction from the Word of God with regard to what He has done through Christ, how He expects us to live, how He expects us to order His church. And it does little good for men to cry out for extra-biblical manifestations when biblical principle is violated all around us. Of course, Jesus was talking about his resurrection. He was rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees. They were wanting a sign. Jesus said, I am the sign, and my death and burial and resurrection will be a sign in every generation that God loves the world and was willing to give his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Welcome to the Airzatz Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. There are a lot of good definitions of revival. My favorite is very simple. It's when God shows up for church. Hey, how you doing? Wow, you look a little bit jazzed. What's well, going you on? know, I am so excited. Why? I am so excited. Well, why, why, a couple why, why? things. A couple things. I've been reading a book by an old, old author who happens to be dead, but his thoughts and concepts are still alive today. And then I've been attending a church just around the corner, and man, they've got great music. They've got great preaching. There are signs and wonders, and there's healing, and it's really revival. Oh, it is, huh? Well, I think so. I mean, it just seems to be revival. I mean, these So it's good aren't... preaching, good oh, music, yeah. and uh, and some apparently some supernatural signs well, and wonders thing. Yeah, yeah. They, okay. they're praying for the sick and stuff like that. Quite exciting. So that's revival, huh? Well, it, it's what I think most people think of revival as being. Well, as the truth barista, I've done some studying in the past on revivals in the Bible, and, you know, while those things are good and could be part of a revival, 
revival? I think that there's a different definition of revival that's missing because, see, I think people have revival services, but you don't really have revival unless something changes from the biblical point of view. Well, and that we may need to define what those changes look like exactly. or what they're defined as. Okay. Well, why don't you grab that book and let's grab some coffee. And okay. By the way, you better make it a strong cup because I think you're going to be a little bit convicted and a little surprised at what we come up with here. Oh, okay. Okay. So we'll settle in here on the uh, typical Bible study booth here at the Airzatz Coffee Shop. And uh, Okay. So tell me, what do you think people would say is revival today? Well, I would think that... How I just described this church around the corner is what most people probably would say is a revival because something is changing in terms of the the admonitions. You know, there's signs and wonders maybe going on and people are excited and they're coming to church. Therefore, something has been revived. Right. Okay. That's part of it. So there seems to be more life in that congregation. Exactly. And because of that, there seems to be a little bit more spiritual life in their lives, in the church's life, and maybe in influencing the neighborhood a little bit? Well, I, I don't know that for sure, but I know they're talking about God more amongst themselves. Okay. Well, let me get into some of these notes here that I have on my tablet that I made quite a few years ago here. This is the definition of revival, and this is actually from the dictionary. It's the act or an instance of reviving or a condition of being revived. Well, wow, that's a big help, right? Okay, what is revive? To bring back to life or consciousness interesting. Also to give new health, strength, or spirit to something. Also to restore to use, currency, activity, or notice. Also renew in mind. Now a real revival, as I've seen it and studied it in the past, has all of those elements to it, but it's really focused on spiritual life and awareness of God. So revival implies life that at one time was present is now being restored or life that was there has dropped and now it's being ramped back up again or increased. That's reviving. So, for example, if somebody chokes on a piece of meat and God forbid it would ever happen in the coffee shop here, but if they choked, you would do the maneuver, get the obstruction out of the way. But if they stop breathing, you have to revive them. And so you begin to breathe air into them. They respond and come back to life. Life. Well, in a picture, that's kind of what God does with his body. There are times when church individuals and organizations and local church bodies seem to lose that breath of God, and it just kind of goes from a really alive and vibrant life of God in us. And it just kind of deteriorates down into a ho-hum, listless, out-of-breath kind of uh, an experience. And every once in a while, God's Holy Spirit breathes new life into us and new activity, new awareness uh, begins to really ramp up and he has revived his body. You know, I've been studying the Church of Ephesus and it's really interesting when Paul in the book of Acts was preaching there. I mean, there was true revival. Many people came to know the Lord and things mm -hmm. were really happening, right? Mm -hmm. Then you read the writings in Revelation from St. John and you begin to realize that that church of Ephesus really had a lot of great things going for it, but the Lord said, you have left your first, first love. love. Yeah. So they were in great need of revival, even though they were doing great things as a church, mm -hmm. the Lord wasn't present as the first and foremost priority in those early Christian I lives. I like the way you brought that up because Ephesus was at first vived 
<laughs> brought to life by the gospel. But you're right, by the time John is writing, which is just a couple of decades later, the church had kind of fallen asleep, and Jesus himself is saying, you have left your first love. You have fallen asleep. Your life is draining away. And he goes, no, buck up, cowboy, and let's get going, man. Get back in the saddle and let's go. Wow. You know, I like that version. Is that the Western uh, that's cowboy the, version or what? That's the cowboy way. <laughs> I know, Truth Barista, you have lessons from the Old Testament that sort of fit right into what we're saying. You're exactly right. And I'm glad you said that because the question is, is how can a church like Ephesus and others that have started with the gospel and been so alive in the Lord suddenly kind of just kind of peter out or they just kind of go with the flow and they move to the lowest common denominator? And it's really, think of it in this way. When God created humanity, Adam and Eve, what did he do to Adam? He breathed life into him and he became a living being. But what happened to Adam? He followed his nature and he fell into sin. Now, sin has become an anchor around humanity's ankles, spiritual ankles. And so what happens is even though we're brought alive in the spirit, redeemed, made new, born again, however you want to say it, we still fight against that old nature, those old habit patterns, our desires. They they fight against the, the drive of the spirit to keep us alive. And that sin anchor, that desire, kind of drags us down. And so when you look at the history of humanity in the Bible and in the last 2,000 years, there's always this tendency to move from high energy to low energy. It's kind of like the second law, I think it's the second law of thermodynamics, where you get all of these objects in motion have a tendency to lose that energy, and you get that entropy. Well, we get this spiritual entropy, this winding down, and unless we take measures to position ourselves for God to revive us or to put us in, fill us with life again, we have a tendency to drop into the pit and fall to inertia or this dead space. Now, I know you have examples from the Old Testament that will illustrate that, but weren't the prophets of old especially, weren't those guys coming to redirect the direction of a sliding group of people? Exactly. It, it's amazing that I'm glad you brought that up. Every time you look through the Old Testament, when the prophets show up, it's usually at a time when Israel hit a low point. And so they would lose life, they would lose power, and the prophet, as the mouth and breath of God, they would be raised up and released to speak God's word into the body. Now, faith comes by him hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what these people needed was that breath of spiritual life. They needed a, a boost to their trust in God. And that's what these prophets brought. And they weren't really popular. Oh, yeah. Nobody, insanely popular, right? Nobody, well, nobody <laughs> wants to be told, hey, you're going left and God wants you to go right. So get with it. Nobody pal. wants to be told, you know, you're really kind of at a state of piece of garbage right now. And, you know, we need to make adjustments here. And let's face it, a lot of people tend to move to that spiritual dead point because they like sin. They like doing things their way. Oftentimes, it's tough to continue to maintain pace with God. So let me give you an example of why this happens. Now, in the book of Judges, this is when Israel has had their wonderful encounter with God, their 40 years of training in the wilderness with God. They've moved into the land. Joshua and all of the leaders that really kept them motivated have finally died, and you're into a whole nother generation. And 
at this point in the book of Judges, it said, uh, they all started doing things according to how they wanted to do things. Every man's way was right in his own eyes. That is a classic case of God's people beginning to fall backwards and to start the downward slide. There is a cycle that we'll see in the book of Judges that comes out over and over again. And in fact, amazing Larry, the book of Judges is a book of revivals. So let me give you the cycle. See if you find it. Okay. The first thing is, is you have a righteous people that sin. Got that? And as a result of that sin, they fall into slavery. Oftentimes, Israel was enslaved by surrounding nations because God allowed them to be enslaved because God's saying, you don't want me? Fine. Then take the enemy. They'll be the ruler over you. The third one is supplication. The Israelites would cry out to God, and then eventually, God says, I'm stepping in, and he brings them salvation. So those are the four steps with the word S, starting with S. Sin, slavery, supplication, salvation. In fact, you could use our words for this too. They rebel. God rebukes them. They repent, and then he redeems them. But the sad part is, as you go through the book of Judges, they keep going through this cycle over and over and over again, but God's grace is there over and over and over again to help them out of the pit of despair and bring them back into his arms. Well, that's why leadership is so important. Leadership today would be the pastor or, you know, an evangelist or something. You know, this book I've been reading, it's it's by Leonard Ravenhill. Oh, he was, outstanding. Yeah, he was a revivalist from a different generation. And Why Revival Tarries was his, his book. And it's an excellent book. It's hard reading, though, because he just does step on some toes. But he said this. He said, uh, we have too many dead men in the pulpits giving out too many dead sermons to too many dead people. The whole idea is, and that's Israel. That's what you just described Mm -hmm. in Judges. And something has to come along to shake that up and challenge that so people can begin to think that, well, yeah, maybe I've been listening to the wrong message or the wrong emphasis in my spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And we need that. Yes, we need to be continuing encouraged by both the Lord and through the Lord's people. You know, whether it's your next door neighbor who's on fire for him, or hopefully your pastor or elders or leaders in your congregation. And the sad part is, is we have a tendency, a downward pull to go to sleep. And every once in a while, and I am hesitant to kind of put it in these terms, but I will. Every once in a while, God lets us slumber. And then he comes along and he allows circumstances to slap us awake. And suddenly we realize how far we have fallen. And that's when we hit that bottom. We say, God, we need help. And God goes, good. I have you exactly where I want you. I can work with this. It's the slumber that he has a hard time working with. Well, I think I need a little slap right now of a cup of coffee. You want to give me a triple espresso over there? Because we're going to get rolling here. All we need is men and women on the fire. We don't need more money. We don't need more organization. Forget it. Let's go back to God. Well, Truth Brisa, you know, you're getting loved all over the world. This is really a phenomenon. It it's is. It's really cool. Because the Truth Barista is on the internet, and of course the internet, wherever the internet goes, so goes the Truth Barista. Mm-hmm. 
But what we're really looking for is people that could really invest some time in praying for us. Oh, we need prayer big time. That's yeah, we main, really main do. Thing. Just to ask God to bless these podcasts that can go into areas of the world that, well, wherever the internet reaches, wherever the we can reach. Yeah, where the gospel can actually make a difference. And we also need people that have a heart to invest in ministries that are doing the work of God. Yep. One of the nicest things about doing a podcast is the costs are not overly expensive, so even a smaller gift can have a tremendous effect. So if you want to support this podcast financially, go to the website, truthbarista.com, and on the right side, you can go down, look down the side, and you'll see a GoFundMe button, you'll see a PayPal button, and you'll even see an address where you can send check or money or whatever you want to, and we'll make sure that it goes directly into this particular ministry. And so many people from around the country and around the world, they love what you have to say in these uh, moments that we spend together here in the coffee house. If they want to send you an email to either congratulate you or questions on scripture would be fun. That would be great. Or themes that they would like you to address. Where do they address their comments? The email is the truth barista. It's all one word. T-H-E T-R-U-T-H-B-A-R-I-S-T-A at gmail.com. The Truth Barista at gmail.com. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Mamma mia! Okay, where were we? Oh yeah, we were talking about the book of Judges and the Old Testament, okay? Let me give you some examples that go beyond the book of Judges. Israel now has a string of kings. They started with Saul, they moved to David, and then into Solomon, and there's a progression of kings. Well, the same thing keeps happening with Israel. They've fallen into idolatry. This downward pull of sin is putting them to sleep, and then they're drifting into immorality, and they lose an awareness of God, and they don't really care, etc. But then, for example, with King Asa, this was an unusual one because the people had slipped into this situation because they were prosperous. And in this situation, God was pushed into the background, but they took the steps to kind of reawaken that fervor in them. It was kind of, hey guys, I know we're prosperous, but do you remember who really got us here in the first place? And because of that, the Lord's word coming through a prophet, it increased the zeal of the people and there was a revival under King Asa. And then you have Ahab and Jezebel, and this was a really pit up. You remember Ahab and Jezebel, right? Oh, yeah. They were uh, the, the couple of the century, right? Exactly. And you had Ahab, who was a very weak king, and Jezebel was actually the daughter of a pagan priest that he married. And here's a good example. Be careful who you yoke up with because she dragged him down into idolatry and actually introduced deep idolatry into Israel. So she, in other words, wore the pants in the family. Exactly. And she was the one that was dragging everything down. And as the leaders go, so go the nation. And that's what happened. So God raises up Elijah. And Elijah is actually Eliyahu, which is the Lord. He is God. So what Ahab and Jezebel are proclaiming is Baal's God. Elijah is his representative saying, no, God is God. You know, El is God. Jehovah is God. And he has a battle on Mount Carmel. And what happens? God sends a manifestation to prove that he is God. And nothing happens on the Baal side when the prophets call out to their God. And the people are going, Eliyahu. It's like, Elijah, Elijah. But what they're saying is, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, this was a manifestation that turned the people. They needed that shock to see that God really is 
the one. And usually those shocks come at some of the most unopportune moments, right? Exactly. I mean, if you look at some of the, the revivals in the past, I mean, people were really desperate for God or change or something. And then for some reason, at a certain time, there's a revival, there is a prophet, there is a speaker, something happens. You cannot predict it. No, it's fascinating. When you study revival, you can never create a revival as I've seen. You can only position your yourself to receive what God wants to bring through a revival. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's get back to the kings, Hezekiah and Josiah. Here was the nations that were struggling with idolatry. And what Hezekiah and Josiah did is they tore down the altars. Actually, Josiah rediscovered the law and read it. And he goes, oh my gosh, we are in such a hole right now that God deserves to judge us. So he began to position the people by tearing down the altars and calling the people back to the worship of God. They created a situation, and when they hit this massive revival point, God moves in, and he moves on the people's heart, and he transforms the society. Under Hezekiah, it says, they had a Passover celebration such has never been celebrated since the time of Joshua. I mean, this was huge. So it's imagine this, God moving into the United States and affecting us in such a way that we could say we have never seen a spiritual move of God since the days of the Great Awakening in the 1700s or since a move of God across Europe in the Methodist revivals or since God began to move in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. I mean, that's how significant Hezekiah and Josiah's revivals were. When Jesus showed up, that is a revelation of God. God, he breathed life into his people by being born again. You know, they were born again and boom, life hit the Jewish people in a new way. Pentecost was also a revival, right? It, when the Holy Spirit sense. came in the beginning of the church, there was a huge influx of believers at that early state of the church. Yep. And you see a move of God through Samaria in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10. Actually, the move of God brings the Gentiles in. Then you see Antioch in Paul's mission missionary adventures, as you're talking about, is God is moving through Ephesus and the various places that he visited. But you know, there's more than just the Bible revivals. You have historic revivals, which are awesome. And this revival process started, what do you think, 1700s, 1800s? Somewhere like that, I think. The first Wrong. Great. Really? They actually, these revival services, these revival movements actually started in the second century and in the first century. Why? It doesn't take people long for them to slide into the state of slumber. Remember Ephesus? It was only a matter of decades. Well, you look at the early church here in the second century. Irenaeus, a church father in AD 178 says, we got a local revival going in Gaul. He records it. He goes, many are coming to Jesus. They're casting out demon. Prophetic gifts are being spoken. We're watching people get healed. And suddenly there's a dedication and awareness of God's presence. This is in 178 AD in France. And then you start moving through history. You have the Montanists in Rome. In a sense, the Reformation was a renewal movement, a revival movement on a much broader scale. They had correction. Martin Luther brought correction to the church at that time. And really a revival, what does it do? It breathes life into people and brings them back to center on God. And that's what these various movements, so to speak, were revival-type movements. Of course, the Reformation brought so many unique changes that, of course, they broke away from the established church at that time because the established church would not 
listen to the requests of the reformers. You see, the church is made of people, and as people slumber and go to sleep, so denominations and movements can slumber and go to sleep. So you could have the powerful, you know, universal church, the Catholic church, can slowly go to sleep and become ossified, which means become bone-like, right, and unresponsive to the spirit. And so even the Reformation movement, uh, the main movement was the Lutheran church that came out of the Reformation. And yet today you look at many parts of the mainline Lutheran church, the ELCA and others, openly embracing sin. Now you tell me that that denomination has not fallen asleep and desperately needs revival. You have also, starting with the first great awakening, I know that that's a a kind of a really uh, interesting time for you because Mm -hmm. it really began to shape what American Christianity was, at least in those early years. Exactly. We, we look at, was the United States a Christian nation? Well, it most certainly was because many Christians were coming here and they were not the mamby-pamby tolerance and uh, diversity Christians we have today. They were committed Christians. They were fo- Christianity infused their worldview. And so what happened is, even as early as the mid-1700s, the First Great Awakening started around the time of 1735 with Jonathan Edwards. Listen to this. I love some of what's happening here. Jonathan Edwards was a preacher in Northampton, Massachusetts. It says this, Edwards says the town experienced a degenerate time with dullness of religion. The young people were addicted to night walking. In other words, they're out at night and nothing good happens after two <laughs> o'clock in the morning, right. right? They were addicted to walking around at night, tavern drinking, lewd practices, and frolics among the sexes for the greater part of the night. Family government did too much fail in the town. In other words, families were falling apart. Community leaders were locked in bitter disputes. Then, two well-known young people died untimely deaths in the spring of 1734. This had a remarkable sobering effect on the whole town. And people began to ask questions about the meaning of life, life after death, eternity, and other spiritual matters. Clearly, this was a token judgment to grab people's attention. Remember the slap in the face? So, Jonathan Edwards preached a series on the gospel, and eventually six young people got saved. One of them, by the way, was an extremely promiscuous young lady. Her transformation was so astounding, it affected the entire town of Northampton, Massachusetts. God has also seemed to go out of his usual way, as Jonathan writes, in the quickness of his work and the swift progress his spirit has made in his operation on the hearts of many. There was scarcely a single person in the town, either old or young, that was left unconcerned about the great things of the eternal world. The town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It never was so full of love and full of joy. It was a time for joy in families. Our public assemblies were beautiful. The congregation was alive in God's service. Everyone earnestly intent on the public worship. God was served in the beauty of holiness. That is a true revival. Leonard Ravenhill said something, and and it's so indicative of today's church because even though he wrote this back in 1959, he said this, Is everybody happy? God's purpose for us is not happiness, but holiness. And that was evidenced by what you just delivered. Uh Because people began to realize that they needed to be more like what the scripture teaches us to be like than what the world teaches us. See, people think we get happy if we sin. But what happens is when we sin, we actually get miserable. When God steps in and brings holiness, 
happiness, we actually become happy and joyful because we're not struggling with the painful things that sin brings. But I think that is the problem with the modern church is that we're trying to make people happy and God is trying to make them holy. And that's the missing message that, you know, Truth Barista, we're going to have to pick this up next week. Yeah, yeah. Because we're we running just, out of coffee, too. Yeah, we're yeah. running out of coffee and uh, we're just running out of time. But Truth Barista, give us a summation of what we heard today. Okay, what we heard today is that revival is actually bringing life to where there once was life, but it has gone to sleep or it has gone dead. And God has to breathe life back into it. It's an act of God. We can't create it, but only God can bring it if we position ourselves. This going to sleep is part of human nature, so we should continually be stoking the fires by continually positioning ourselves for God to work in and through us. This is not unusual to human condition. We see it throughout the Bible, and God's normative work is to continually breathe life into his body. We see it through the Bible, we see it Old New Testament, and we see it through history. Well, next week we're going to continue with looking at some of the historical revivals. And next week I have a personal story that I'd like to share that I've become very aware of how my spiritual life was on a slippery slope. And I think that will relate to a lot of people. So until next week, Truth Barista, thanks for giving us the truth. You see, revival is places like this that are dark and dead. And yet God brings a well and he begins to water and bring new life in the midst of pain, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of drought. This is The Truth Barista, your link to how God defines our day. Remembering things today is getting harder and harder for all of us. So much information, so many passwords, so much technology to master, it all seems a blur at times. But one thing we hope will never be a blur, and that is how much God loves you. The Bible tells us His mercy is new every morning, brewed special for your day. Thanks for listening. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through RSS feed. Go to our website, look for the RSS button, press it, and then enter your email. You'll be notified when a new podcast drops. Thanks for listening.